one of the aspects of coaching is to know that you're not the right coach for everyone. This is The Playbook. Let's introduce this amazing mentee of mine, the extraordinary Alicia Covey. Welcome to the clubhouse. Thank you, David. It's lovely to be here and good to see <laughs> it's you. Great. It's great to have you. Uh, all right, let's just show people how best to be mentored and I'll give my best on, on how to mentor, but uh, go ahead, we'll get started. What do you got for me today? Awesome. So I think the first thing that has really helped me in being mentored with you is that you give so much amazing information so quickly. I record all of our calls. So that way I can give my hundred percent to what you're telling me and really let it impact me emotionally and mentally, and then go back to my notes. So I already started my recording for this one, but I wanted to mention that because it's been really helpful working with you. Um, and then I also like to have my questions prepared ahead of time. And I usually shoot them over to you. That way you have a few minutes too, if you like to look them over. Awesome. But my first question today is, are you involved in the metaverse? <laughs> I am. And I study, um, and I think it's important uh, to understand and have mentors in the metaverse. And so since the metaverse is an amplification and a duplication of real life, um, I'm looking to see what I know the most about in real life. So if it's beach properties and short-term rentals, then I want to seek people who understand that realm and where the differences lie according to my timing and risk tolerance in the metaverse. If it's exercise, uh, is whatever non-negotiable may be. And so um, I am participating in the metaverse, uh, mostly in real estate right right now, Um, obviously coordinating the blockchain with the metaverse and real estate. and I crawl before I walk, before I run. Uh, I seek counsel from those who know much more about the metaverse than I know. And uh, the biggest intricacy that I've found so far is in uh, $200 million high rise that's in the real verse, uh, how to leverage that or amplify that into the metaverse. Uh, and I suggest the metaverse is not gonna go anywhere except for grow, um, but you have to, get down to the basics, you know, for example, here's three basics that people don't think about. And I want everyone in the investment realm to think about the three levels. The first is investment or slash contribution. We have to know our actual investment or contribution, time, money, emotion, or value. Uh, It's a coordinate of the timing and risk tolerance aspect of knowing your timing and risk tolerance before you get involved in any type of investment opportunity. Uh, And so in the context of that, you have to know your contribution or investment. And this is true of perceived and real value. And then secondly, you have to understand accumulation, uh, where the growth and the aspects of accumulation are. So uh, write down investment or contribution, write down accumulation. It's a different strategy. You need to have disciplines and strategies for all three of these in order to understand your timing and risk tolerance to move forward logically. Because in any investment, Alicia, if you get the alignment with the timing and risk tolerance that you wanted, it doesn't matter whether you make money or lose money. I'll give you an example, the lottery. If you understand the timing and risk tolerance of the lottery that you have to wait until Saturday to see if your investment is gonna pay off and you understand that it has a one in a billion chance of paying off, when you don't win the lottery and it occurs on Saturday and you get your ROI on Saturday, which may be in the context, like we said, there's perceived and real value, 
the perceived value may be enjoyment or fun or entertainment. Well, you're super happy when you lose the lottery because it meets that timing and risk tolerance. That same application occurs when you consider the contribution or investment strategy um, or the accumulation stage of how that would accumulate into uh, you know, financially benefit or emotionally benefit. Then finally, you have the contribution accumulation, the distribution. So take the lottery anal analogy. You know, you have to have a strategy of distribution. What if you win the one in a billion? <laughs> you know, what type of distribution are you going to take? Lump sum. And you have to predetermine this because it extracts the emotional aspect of the investment stage or contribution stage, accumulation stage, or the distribution stage. If you can extract the emotional aspect so that you don't just react to the stock market going down because of the Ukraine or crypto getting killed because of the Ukraine. If you went in with three strategies and alignment with your timing and risk tolerance, you'll be very happy right now, even though the market went down and went back up, crypto went, it doesn't matter. And I want everyone really to remember those three things and create strategies aligned with timing and risk tolerance contribution, accumulation, and distribution. That's, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, and I think you're so right because I watch the investments that I've made in crypto, for instance, and they just, I mean, they're crazy. And uh, something I saw the other day said, you haven't lost anything unless you've sold it. So just like chill out. <laughs> right. And my game is long game with crypto. So I don't even care. I'm like, hey, it can bounce around all at once. Right now it's long game. So yeah, I, I, think I tell right. my 11 year old, all of my crypto is his, so he can keep his eye on it, but uh, he can't sell it till I give it to him. So I don't care where it goes. Yeah, nice. Okay. Um, so then my next question is, I think that you're very right. You have to be educated before you jump into these things. Where did you find the most relevant information um, to educate yourself on the metaverse? Where was your big library of wealth? Well, one of the things that you'll find in the mentor and mentee guide is open-ended questions and how to ask them in person, on the phone, via email, and traditional and social media. So I'm constantly more interested than interesting. So I'm asking people all the time, you know, I always like to say, you know, ask a hundred open-ended questions until you can find out how you can be of service or value, but also transition that into how others can inspire or help you or give you that information. So when I'm in conversations, if one of my primary uh, interests are the metaverse, then I'm asking in person on the phone via email, traditional, social media, I'm asking specifically, hey, do you know anyone that can help me? I'm really interested in how fractionalized ownership in the metaverse would equate to a beachfront property, to a stadium or arena, to a short-term rental, or to a high-rise condominium slash office space. Why? Because those are the areas that I know about in the real world. And I understand the stage theory, not just stage theory of my own content, but the stage theory of how the metaverse amplifies, modifies, and perpetuates what exists in the real world and what financial aspects that I know are applicable. And where are the nuances, the change, the market? Where's that different? Where's the market makers different? Where are the margins different in the metaverse? And what market does exist? And I think understanding all that and asking, do you know anyone that can help me? It's like being, you know, in the game clue. Every time you get more and more, but the only way you get more clues is to ask open-ended questions. 
not pretend as if you know and have arrogant ignorance, pretend like, well, you know what? I've had over $100 million in real estate. I know everything about real estate. Therefore, in the metaverse, since I've been doing short-term beach rentals for the last 20 years, I know exactly what to do in the metaverse. No, you don't. Um, and I know you're a real estate person as well. And you can you know, equate the differences between California and Arkansas when it comes to properties. Well, it's exponential when you take California and Arkansas experience and apply it to the metaverse. That seems logical from what you said, but it seems you. logical, but so does knowing your timing and risk tolerance. So does asking for help. So does asking open-ended questions just because something's logical. So does thank you, by the way, it seems logical. If you say thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up, your life will change, but people don't have coherence. They don't remember to say thank you and they don't do it. So I want to make sure that we're beating with a hammer in these sessions, the logical, because I think one of the mistakes people make as a coach, Alicia, and I know you coach people as well. Um, one of the mistakes is they don't state the obvious. Uh, the obvious. They make these assumptions. Uh, I see it in, we were doing two minute drill, the launch party. I see it in so many pitches that people know their product so well. They love their product so much. They just assume everyone else gets what they get. And then when you, you know, state the obvious, then it becomes obvious. If you don't state the obvious, it remains obtuse. And we all need reminders. Jeez. One of my coaches told me that he was like, that's my job just to remind you it, because I was feeling like you should only have to tell me once, but we are human. And so I, well, now I just you make a good people. point. I always tell people you can have an entire coaching business. You could be specifically a reminder coach or an accountability coach. And literally with the right people, you could articulate a quantitative value to exceed what you ask for especially with certain people to be a reminder coach and an accountability coach. Uh, that's it. And one of the aspects of coaching is to know that you're not the right coach for everyone. Not everybody needs a reminder coach. Not everybody needs an accountability coach. Not everybody needs a hot seat coaching coach or an all weekend coach. You pick out specific to your skills, knowledge, and desires, what's aligned with what you need, not what other people need, what's missing or what you don't want when you're coaching and stick to your frequency of what you do. I love it. Thank you. Um, let's see. My next question, what would you recommend to someone who wants to get into uh, the metaverse, like first baby steps besides starting to ask a lot of questions? Yeah, I, I think the first baby step is to make an investment in the metaverse. You know, I, I, I'll use Celsius Bank as an example. Um, you know, I am a large uh, depositor of stable coin into Celsius Bank and Ethereum. Um, but Alex Machinsky, who's actually a friend of mine, the CEO, he took, you know, he's had three unicorns. His bank is the fastest bank ever to 30 billion. He's created voice over IP. He took on the carriers when they said, you can't do internet phone calls and he beat them. Now he's taking on the banks and giving you know, up to 10% interest on your, your stable coin. It's ridiculous. So I got super excited and I said, hey, Alex, I'm gonna move some big money over and I'd like to make 10% interest completely secure, like a bank account. And he, you know, he told me, he said, Dave, put in $100 and learn how it works because they'll take a minimum of a $100 deposit. Put in $100 into the metaverse and see how it works. Uh, there's a lot of subtleties that success. There's a lot of dummy tax that is a lot cheaper when you have $100 than 100 million. And so keep the dummy tax quotient down by asking for help, finding mentorship, but just getting your, your toe wet 
and crawling before you walk, before you run. I love it. Thank you. Um, I think I had some of the similar questions about NFTs. Um, my first one is, do you own any? I do. Um, and uh, just went through with a, a BAPES project, uh, a pretty good turn, turn coins, another one. Um, so uh, I also, thanks to Mr. Lundy, got involved with the Matrix and NFT, and uh, we're both holders of those NFTs. Um, the way that I see NFTs is by its capability, though. See, some NFTs I consider like baseball cards. You know, there's tons of baseball cards out there. Some are worth a fortune. Most are worth nothing. The difference between the collectible NFT and a baseball card is there's a limited quantity produced. So you have an aspect of how to ascertain the value because there's a limited amount of Mickey Mantles that have been produced by tops. And so it's a different uh, class of an asset, this type of collectible. In the NFT realm, anyone, you know, I use Creatify, can create an NFT, create a collectible. That's not where I like to invest my money in the collectibles, although I'm involved in them with Drew Brees and Patrick Mahomes and others with Turncoin and, you know, really fun stuff. But I've been involved in those types of collectibles from helmets to footballs to baseball cards, boxing gloves, all of those things for years. But what really interests me are the capabilities of NFTs, democratization of the workflow, uh, two, fractionalized ownership, chain of ownership and authentication of the chain of ownership, which is eliminating all the brokerage fees, all the, the, the different uh, interferences that we have in this democratization product, product. So, you know, for example, you work in real estate, imagine getting, you know, of all of those different fees that exist uh, in a real estate transaction. And moreover, creating your own market for owning one ten thousandths of a shopping center or of a stadium or something like that and be able to freely trade it, but also have it be guaranteed authentic in its ownership and transferable, but also have the historical uh, analysis of that workflow of the chain of ownership in order to effectuate the value to see every transaction of how much was it originally, where did it go up, where did it go down, et cetera. So looking at the picks and shovels in NFTs, looking at the capabilities of an NFT, especially the authentication, the democratization and the fractionalized ownership, you can take advantage of NFTs in a way that most people today are not even considering. And you can really create a better market, better market makers, because you're the market maker in an NFT and better margins because there's no fees. Thank you. I, I love that answer. Okay, I'm going to move on to my next set of questions, which involves social media. Um, my first question is, where do you get your inspiration for your content from? I'm sure there's multiple areas, but I'm curious, like, where does this come from? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting because I have a Shakespearean uh, type of philosophy, as many know, when it comes to the inspiration of my, con uh, my, my content, which there's a lot of it because of it. And so number one, to thine own self be true. So a key element, even when I'm speaking or coaching or in business, I always tell people, write down what resonates with you because there's five levels of intention in content. It's not just what I do in the content. It's not just what I say. It's not just my thoughts. It's not just my beliefs, but it's how we feel. 
how we feel, that resonance. So when you feel something, if something resonates with you, write it down and tie the story to that lesson that resonates with you. Well, I do the same thing in my content. Uh, I take my daily activity, the Shakespearean revival of to thine own self be true. Well, when something resonates with you at the highest level of vibration or intention, which is feeling, then I know that I should, number one, once again, Shakespearean, treat the world as my stage. I want to capture what resonates with me. So in all aspects of my life, it could be, you know, sitting at a baseball game, watching my son who's 11 or going to, you know, watch my daughter cheerlead or going to dad's day at a college or visiting my daughter who lives in New York working or just sitting in bed with my wife talking. Something resonates with me. I want to capture it in some form because the whole world is my stage. So sometimes capturing it means videoing it. Sometimes it means audio recording. Sometimes it means writing down a note by a pad that's right by the computer while I'm doing this training. Or sometimes it you know, may mean texting an arbitrary person just so I've captured the idea you know, that purpose is the pursuit of yourself, right? Purpose is the suit of convincing yourself of the illusions you've created. These are things I've texted arbitrarily, not necessarily to anyone in particular, just to capture on my phone and have it conveniently go to the first person that comes up so I don't have to search for Alicia to send her a specific message. So to thine own self be true, what resonates with you, number one, capture it in a variety of different mediums. Then once it's captured, then you can modify it to the particular situation, a speech, an interview, a training, whatever it would be. Then you amplify it in the variety of different platforms that allow you to amplify it. And that means project it, strengthening the signal, learning about the spectrum of people, of what they're listening for, not listening to. You know, there's three aspects of what people don't even realize. It's, you know, you wanna know what your spectrum knows already what they don't know, and what they need to know. These are the three aspects of resonance of an audience of instead of like most people being more interesting, instead of being more interested, I'm interested in what you know already, Alicia, what you don't know, and what you need to know. And this is true in our coaching. And so understanding the amplification need to know is key. Then lastly, which most people aren't even to this realm, uh, which you know, I was with Ed Milet last week uh, filming our show here in Vegas, and he said to me, Dave, I get what you're doing. I can't wait to see you in 20 years. And I said, why is that? He said, because you have a repository of content that keeps growing at an exponential rate. And I don't think people understand the value of that repository, of that perpetuation of content. And so... I have in all aspects of my life, as far as my content goes, a capture strategy. You heard some of it that I utilize in all aspects of my life by what resonates with me. I have a modification strategy, which is mostly outsourced uh, employment of people that will modify because that's an outsourced capability, meaning you don't have to know me or my content or be an employee of mine in order to modify to the different platforms. Then the amplification strategy of knowing what people know, what they don't know, and what they need to know. And then finally, a perpetuation strategy that really takes into consider compound interest and aggregated growth, acceleration, exponential value 
of the binge-watching society that is only going to increase itself and accelerate itself exponentially as well. This Shakespearean revival is the key to my content strategy, which is seven days a week and is part of my enjoyment of the consistent every day, persistent without quit, pursuit of my potential. That was, it was so much. I'm like, okay, I have the recording. I don't have to like dive in here. And everybody but... gets the recording on Mondays. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we have over 63,000 people register on the webinar and the majority of them just watch the replay because they actually tell me, Dave, you talk too fast and there's too many things involved that it doesn't do me any good to, <laughs> to listen to you live. Uh, well, I love I it because I think it plants... It, well, it plants the seeds. And then when you go back, you hear additional, like the watering comes then. So that is phenomenal. Thank you. Okay. So you kind of answered that. Um, my next question would be, how do you decide what content gets posted and when? So you're consistently, you know, documenting this content in the ways that you just described. How do you decide when and where? Write this down, everyone. I'm going to talk this one slow because very few people get this. And it's because they don't understand exponential growth aggregation and compound interest. You have to have a test and go strategy based off of radical humility. Like I'm a math person. So I tell people all the time, if you understood the trillions of variables that are involved in posting content, I said trillions because I'm a mathematician and anyone out there that's taken statistics would realize with, you know, 6.4 billion people and the variables involved in any piece of content from color time content itself and all the different, there's trillions of variables. So when all these great digital marketing companies try to come to you with a $20,000 a month proposal for 12 pieces of content a month, please, you know, I have test accounts, I have test strategies and philosophies, but I live within the context of ignorant uh, humility that I do not know what I do not know. There's trillions of variables. So when there's that many variables, the only way that to, you can succeed is the test and see, I will tell you the majority of the content that I do that I love me, that I'm like, oh my God, Alicia, you gotta see this thing. It's gonna kill it. It gets like a thousand views, right? And then when I do something and my guys are like, hey, th this is gonna kill it, right? And I'm talking about, outsource editors or young people or my wife or whoever they're like oh I love this you know I'm like that sucks I don't even want to you know I'll go ahead test it boom 400,000 views I'm like what like but it's like we said earlier right we just assume and I'm so deep in my own excuse my language everyone I'm so deep in my own shit that I can't smell what's really good and so you know I have to stick to the ignorant humility Everyone out there, if you're not testing and going when it comes to content, if you're relying on experts of digital marketing that don't execute on a test and go strategy, I believe my personal opinion that statistically it's impossible for them to live up or manage or align with the expectation they set to you that somehow they know the analytics and the, this BS. Even if there wasn't a change in the system every day, which just adds to the trillions of variables, even if they were set, these people don't know what they don't know. You wanna find the people that are fast learners and are the best testers. Wow, that was, that was wonderful, thank you. Um, let's see, my next question is, 
this one just kind of wraps up our social media. What is the number one thing that you recommend anyone do on social media when you're starting out, just trying to grow your content? And I know you've given amazing tips. So what's that number one thing? This is easy. And it's the thing five years ago, Super Bowl. So I just had my anniversary with a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. And I helped Gary with his sports agency because that's what I knew about. And AJ, his brother, started a great sports agency called AJ, you know, Vayner Sports. But from day one, I had a trade-off. Five minutes a week, I spent with Gary helping him, and he spent five minutes a week mentoring me on this point. For over a year, I would give him my Instagram and say, Gary, what should I do? And he'd look at me and say, post more. And I'd be like, dude, people are going to get sick of me. And so you got to post more. I don't care where you, when your friends, families, and associates are telling you, stop posting. I'm tired of you. You know, this is ridiculous how much you're posting. Post more. That's the minimum (laughs) you should be posting. I'm not joking. You don't understand the size, scope, and scale of that audience and how repetition and consistency is at the forefront of value when it comes to content, post more. I said it slowly. You don't have to watch the replay. You can write it down. I don't care who you are. I'm consistently trying to figure out how I can post more. And Gary is consistently trying to, and you know, I have hundreds of people working on this stuff. He has thousands. How can I post more? So if you haven't heard me, post more. I got time for one more question and then we'll take questions from other people as well. Okay, so last one question. Second. I got one more question from Alicia. You're, you're, <laughs> you'll be up. Thank you. Thanks. So last question is, when you're traveling, do you adjust your morning routine? I know that that's very important for you to you know, get your day going well. Do you adjust it? And if you have a condensed version, what is it? Beautiful. So first of all, my morning routine starts tonight. So my tomorrow starts today. I know Amelia laughed at that when I said it the first time that I have an unwinding routine based off of recovery so I can plateau as an embodiment, but also access so I can learn more while I sleep than I do when I'm awake. Uh, so number one, I shifted that paradigm and I have an adaptable routine that I utilize my non-negotiables in order to effectuate the prioritization of time. And then within the context of time, I have routines and practices to be more productive, to provide more value, to be more accessible, accessible to others and access or receive, and to be more gracious. In other words, to be coherent in the ability to not only find the light, the love and the lessons in everything I do, which adds value and makes me more accessible, but to distinguish how much time that I should spend finding the light, the love and the lessons in certain people, certain opportunities, certain options, because 80% of most people's time is spent on things that bleed us. And if you spend 80% of your time trying to find the light, the love and the lessons in something that's bleeding you, and you could be spending it on something that's feeding you, holy moly, think about mathematically the exponential difference. So I always say, have a set routine, but have an adaptable tree. Number one, because if you want to make God laugh at you, come up with a well-developed plan or routine and he'll go ahead. So if you have a adaptable routine based off of your non-negotiables that have a time consideration of finding the light, the love and the lesson. So for me, I take into consideration with my five daily practices, which I send to everyone and which I know you utilize, right? I literally am able to effectuate with my time 
minimum of an hour a day on my health. Why? Because I want to live to over 111. Minimum of 30 minutes a day with my wife, 30 with my 11-year-old, two minutes with the 2022 and 18-year-old, and one minute with my mom, and then a minimum of 10 minutes a day with random other people that are relative to me. Number two, why? Because my family is the most important thing to me. And because my family is the most important thing to me, then I need to take care of my health because if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of my family. Then finally, I'm a student of time, a student of my calendar, third, as a non-negotiable. So when in-laws come to town or my buddies in my fraternity from college mess up my schedule and I can't unwind at 9 p.m. because I'm in Vegas and next thing I know it's 4 a.m., I go right to that non-negotiable, right? I make sure that regardless of, you know, where I'm on or off of my natural routine, I have a minimum of an hour a day on my health, minimum of time with my family, minimum of time studying time so I can be productive, accessible, and gracious, efficient, effective, and statistically successful every single day. Uh, Thank you, Alicia, to illustrate, I mean, the bigger picture of why I'm here, and please reach out to me if you want that mentee mentor guide is how we're successful. There's a big difference between how Alicia shows up as a mentee and other people show up. If you're not more interested than interesting, if you're not willing to do the work, you're not gonna get what we get out of this every, and we we do it normally in 20 minutes. We gave an extra 10 minutes here, but I gave so much to unpack that if we did any more, you couldn't get to the next call and execute on what we've learned. And I'm available to you, coordinated, in which Alicia does as well. She communicates with me during the week so that we can work on these things together. And that's how we get the exponentiality out of it. This is how you mentor. This is how you mentee in hot seat coaching. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and allowing me to do this.